0: Alright, so uh, I'm going to do something. I'm going to remix. Four years ago I taught a sermon from a particular passage in the book of James and I want to remix that sermon because four years ago there were some things that I didn't think that I actually believed to be true now. And I want to remix the sermon I did four years ago. So we're going to go to the book of James chapter 1. We're going to look at Four verses, 12, 13, 14, and 15, our primary focus will be on verse 14 today, but we're going to also just talk a little bit about 12 and 13. We'll go through those and give some thoughts, but our primary focus is going to be verse 14. I want to tell you what the main point that I'm hoping to impress upon you today is, and hopefully it just will make sense when the message is over, but here's the point. And here's why I'm teaching this passage in the context of a series on love. Here's why. Because we will be discouraged about our obedience if we are deceived about our disobedience. We will be discouraged about our obedience if we are deceived about our disobedience. I think many of us today, particularly in the area of love, are growing, fighting, but has found just life as a Christian challenging, and as Mike said, having a vantage point of talking to people and counseling and walking them through things, and and your own self. I mean, you always have your own struggles. There's no pastor that doesn't have his own struggles, his own fears, his own concerns. But I find that a lot of progress that is not being made is because it's not being understood biblically. And so we get discouraged about our obedience because we're actually deceived about what disobedience is. Many of us do not persevere In growing because we're tempted to think that when we're tempted, we're actually sinning. And it throws us off. And we get confused. So this morning, I hope to clear up this issue as best as possible. What we're going to do is look at what is the process where our desires become sinful. So if I have a sinful thought, did I just sin or not? This trips us up more than most things as believers. I hope today to bring some clarity. Let's pray. Father, your word is very clear, but sometimes it's still difficult for us to get. And sometimes our own experiences, our own feelings, our own desires, they, they muddy the waters of your clarity, the clarity of your word. And rightly so, there are things, particularly the distinction between sin and temptation is very difficult. And four years ago, I talked about this, but there was something that I avoided talking about four years ago because I wasn't sure, and I believe today I'm sure. And it's not because I'm of me, it's just you have, over the last four years, have helped me grow in understanding. And I believe, I believe I have some clarity on this based on what I feel like you've revealed to me. So, Lord, if I am in error this morning, I pray that no one here would be bound by conscience and that you would even take it from the memory. But if I'm right about anything I'm saying, then, Lord, impress it upon the hearts of your sons and daughters so that they may be encouraged to continue to persevere to the end. We do this all for your glory and you do what's in our lives for our good. So we submit I submit this to you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Beginning in verse 12, let's read. Blessed is the one who endures trials. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God. Since God is not tempted by evil and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then after his desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. So this is a process. There's a process that scripture lays out. We're going to walk through this process. But first, we're going to look at just verse 12. Verse 12 it's sort of the go-between between verses 1 through 11 and then 13 and beyond. It's, just, it's, a, it's, a, it's a verse, blessed is the one who endures trials, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So he's highlighting this reality. It's a reminder for us that the struggles, the battles, the challenges that we face in this life have eternal value. They have eternal value. They're, you're losing your keys. You're lo- not, not having enough money and trusting the Lord. Your your illnesses. You're, you're, all the things that are trials in this life. And a trial is simply any difficulty that threatens our faithfulness to Christ. That's all a trial is. There's any difficulty that threatens our faithfulness to Christ. And trials are various, right? Some stuff might not be an issue to people. We have used this analogy before, but it's just a a real clear one. You ever been in a rush and you hit traffic and you're just angry and you're trying to figure out should you cut through and all that stuff? And you're upset and you're running late and you can't. And you're doing everything you can to not sin. But then you are sinning and you just like it is what it is. Like sinning is going to get you there quicker. Peeping on your horn is going to make all them people go faster for you. We all have done that, right? Just get angry like, man. Start thinking about you turning back, even though the sign says no U-turn. All of it, right? And then you look over and the person beside you is a lady who's just sitting there chilling, putting on her makeup, doing that. This this traffic jam is actually good for her because she got time to get herself together for wherever she's going. So it's not a trial to her, but it's a trial to you. Right? These trials are simply difficulties that threaten our faithfulness to Christ. And this verse reminds us that these trials have eternal value. God is not Loki, right? He's not Loki, where he's just mischievous, playing games, pretending like he loves you and comes alongside you like his brother Thor and then sticks him with a little knife. God is not Loki. He's the God of Loki. It's just an analogy. Don't take it that seriously I know some people are like, what does he mean by the God of Loki? That's a, it's not even a real character. He's the God, of the person who created the character Loki. <laughs> this verse reminds us that our suffering has eternal value. But even more than that, our suffering is connected to a promise that God made. Listen, this is listen. Think about this when you're tempted to fight sin. When we're thinking about fighting sin and we're resisting temptation, all of these things. Think about this. There's a promise from God that's connected to our trials and sufferings that tempt us to not be faithful. There's a promise that God made, and the promise is in verse 12. He says this, he said, because when he has stood the test, when you and I have stood the test, he will receive, he, she, will receive a crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So make the connection. There's a promise that God has made that when we suffer and we trust in him and persevere, that he's going to give us the crown because from God's perspective, the only people who will persevere in trial are those who love me. The only ones. So don't think for a moment that your struggle with sin is somehow just you. God sees that as the only people who actually struggle with sin, who are resisting giving in to being unfaithful, whatever that looks like, whether it's complaining, whether it's angry, whether it's sexual sin, whether it's slander, whether whoever were the people who resist that or the people who love me. So those are the people that will get a crown of life. Your suffering is connected. Your trials are trials are connected to a promise from God that if we keep going, I got you. The reward is nice. The crown will fit. Verse 13, we're going to go through because we're going to mainly focus on verse 14. I just want to give you some context so that we know what we're talking about. Verse 13, it says this, no one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God since God is not tempted by evil and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. Now, if I were teaching this Line by line, there's much that I would say here, but I'm not doing that today. But I want to say this. This verse brings us into the mindset that it's actually easy to blame God for our trials. And here's why. Here's why. All people, whether they theologically know this or not, almost all people believe in the sovereignty of God. Whether you see like all people, even unbelievers, believe that God is in control. Because as soon as something happens and they blame Christians, they say, well, why did your God let this happen? I thought you don't believe in them, So how do you know it was my God to let it happen? They believe in God's sovereignty. And a lot of Christians, what we do is we get offended. We don't think, oh, man, God caused this accident for me. We just think God could have prevented it from happening. So many of us are sharp enough to not blame God for certain things, but we, we get angry because he didn't stop it from happening. Or he hasn't removed it yet. I'm still suffering. Like, how long, oh, Lord? Remember somebody said that before? There's a reality that we just get offended. And this passage is to remind us that God is not the one at fault here. He's not tempting us to sin because of trials. What's tempting us, the person that's tempting us in this passage is us. What about the devil? Yeah, that's part of it, but that's not this passage. Because it's not helpful too to think it's always the devil. fun fact. You and I are not that important to the devil for him to be testing us all the time. So fun fact. He's got bigger fish to fry, so to speak. A lot of what tempts us is actually us. So we're reminded that God is not at fault. And Look at at the contrast from 12 to 13. 13 are people who blame God Twelve are people who persevere because they love God. See the contrast. So he starts off with the promise. Hey, there's a promise connected to your trial. There's a warning. But God, don't blame God, though. Don't blame God for this happening. And the reason why that verse, I believe, is there is because God does allow things to happen. Remember remember Luke 7 when, when John the Baptist was in prison. And what did Jesus say when John told his disciples to ask, is he really the Messiah or not? He said, blessed is the one who's not offended because of me. This verse is just taking what Jesus said. Blessed is the one who's not offended because of me. Blessed are the people who do not take offense at what I'm doing because they think I should be doing something different. Blessed are the people who think that because they're praying, I got to answer it directly the way they're praying or else something's wrong with me. No, 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 no. God's just saying, listen, this is a this is a trial. Life is a trial. They call Jesus a man of sorrows. How is it that the people that believe in him won't have many? We're going to have them, and it's not because God is angry or something's wrong, it's because this is the test. If life were trial free, then you and I would not know if we really believe. You wouldn't know I heard a fire a fi- I heard a fire men say this one time. You can tell what's most important to a person by what they grab when their house is on fire. What do you grab? Who do you grab onto? What do you believe when you're tempted? Well, one thing we should believe is it's not God's fault. And more than that, that there's a promise there's a crown of life, a reward. Listen, don't make the mistake of thinking that it's somehow unbiblical to be motivated by rewards from God. That's dumb. I don't think we should be thinking, hey, I'm doing this because I want to get something nice from the Lord. But I don't think we should think like that. But I don't think we should think that God, as he's promised to, that we're not motivated by that. This, this is here to add to the motivation, to persevere to the end. When Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, I finished the race. I've endured to the end. I fought. He said, my life, I'm, I'm good. I'm getting ready to die. And, and the Lord is, has uh, is given me a crown, and, and for those who also love his appearing. He said, look, I finished the race. I'm going to get ready to die. I still believe. That's what Paul was saying. Out of everything I've been through, all the stuff that God allowed me to happen that he lists in 2 Corinthians 12, all the stuff that God let me go through, I still believe. And I'm about to die and be rewarded for believing. And he's reminding us the same thing, so that all the stuff that we go through, all, however difficult 2020 has been, it's been tough for everybody. If 2020 hasn't been tough for you, you've been sleeping. <laughs> and see, for all this is, and it's not even over, I don't know why people think 2020 is going to go to 2021 is going to be something different. All the drama is going to carry right on over, and all the consequences, and all the anger, and all the judgment, and all the sin, and all the slander, and all the gossip is going to carry right on over. It's going to go from who are you going to vote for? So depending on who you voted for, your genuine belief, all this stuff is going to keep going. It ain't going to stop. It's going to keep going. When it, when it turns to a happy new year, we'll be the same year. Just different date. Because the heart is the same. The temptations are the same, and the way we got to fight is the same. Here's where we're going to spend most of our time though on verse 14, because this is where I personally have been tripped up the most as a Christian and I would say I'm not the only one. Here's what he says in verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Okay? Each person is tempted. So God is not tempting us. Even though he allowed this to happen, he's not tempting us. He's saying that each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Now, this is similar to what, this is really a a Cliff Notes version. This is a a paraphrase of what Jesus said in Mark 7. In Mark 7, Jesus said this in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, at different points. In Matthew, it's in chapter 15. I forget where it is in Luke. But in Mark 7, Jesus says this. He says, and he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. What comes out? He said, for from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, evil actions, deceit, self-indulgence, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. He said, all these come from within and defile a person. So essentially, here's what Jesus is saying. Sin is not caused by external forces. External forces reveal sin that's already there. Yeah. It's not caused by them. It's revealing what's in the heart already. There's a reason. So when people say, man, you make me so angry. No. What the person did revealed there was anger in your heart already. What the person did was provoke whatever standard you had that nobody should cross. Everyone has a standard that they have and they don't even know it until it gets crossed. That's what's tough about being a Christian. Sometimes you don't know where you at until something happens. You don't know what you what you you can't prepare for because you don't know what you want till you don't get it. You didn't know that you want to be treated with respect by everybody today until somebody says something to you in a tone of voice or some words that you did disrespect you. Now all of a sudden you clocked in. You loaded. You ready to go? Who they talking to like that? Or you just be quiet? You might be that. Might not be your character. You just might look at him and be like, "Mm hmm, mm-hmm. I'm saying nothing, but I'm saying everything inside. Mm-hmm. Don't think because you're not you're not aggressive like me that you're not. Ah, no, you can keep that nice and tucked in. Don't say nothing. Just pour a little something in that coffee when they ain't looking. <laughs> Jesus is saying, look, sin isn't caused by external forces. It's, it's revealed. It's, it's internal. What makes people sin is what's already there. So here's the question then. How do we know then when an evil desire has become sinful? Isn't it evil? Isn't it already sinful? It's an evil desire. And if I have, it, if I have an evil desire, isn't that the same as sin? No, not quite, not quite. Temptation comes when we are drawn away, dragged away. That's what it means, like you're dragged away. The, the Greek word it almost means like you're rescued from. So temptation comes when I am drawn away. I'm dragged away. From what? From being sober-minded, From defining good and evil according to God. So it might drag me away to stop resisting sin, or it might drag me away to start engaging in it. But these are things that are reality. So we're drawn away and enticed. It's like we're entrapped. We get trapped. Whatever metaphors we use, this is a fishing metaphor. About fishing. My dad used to take me fishing. I hated it, but he, it was a kid and I didn't see him much. And so we'd go fishing and we'd have these night crawlers. And I, I used to have to go with him to get night crawlers and pretend like I want to take this worm and wrap it around his hook and then cast it in. I didn't really like it. But I was like, all right, this is what I got to do. This is my dad. But my dad had this thing. It was like a little fake fish. It was like this little silver hook that he put on. And he would put like this, what he called a sinker on there with this little hook. It looked like a little fish. And what would happen is he'd throw it in, and then the fish would see that little thing, and they'd go to eat that fish but it was actually a hook. And then as soon as that happened, the fishing wire would go down, and he'd be like, see, I got it. And then he'd pull it up. And then all of a sudden, he'd start reeling that bad boy in. And then we'd have a catfish. <laughs> Amen, until you have to clean that bad boy. Then it's more like, oh. But he did it. The scripture is telling us that we are enticed. We are lured away by that little silvery thing that we grab onto like a fish. What it's saying is, listen, it's your own decision. It's a decision that you make. Listen, it says you are Lord when you are Lord and enticed by your own desire. By his own evil desire. Now, here's the thing. In the original language that this is written in, it's called Koine Greek. That's a dead language right now. Here's the thing. The word evil is not actually in the Greek. It's not there. Evil is placed in the translation because of the context of the desire in which it speaks. But the word desire is there, but evil is not there. So the word has been translated to simply describe what kind of desire this is. It's an evil desire. Now, in the context of our passage, desire is framed as something to pull you away from honoring God. And then we get to verse 15. Then it gives birth to sin. So the evil desire is not being called sin just yet. But in our minds, when we hear evil, we think sin. So an evil desire, a sinful thought to us, can equate to being sinful, but not quite. A desire is evil, not because it's already sin. It's evil because it wants you to sin already. There's a difference. It's an evil desire because it wants you to disobey God. But it's still a temptation yet. It's not sin yet. Let me prove the point. Let me go back to where we went to four years ago with a little bit of different insight, I believe. Let's go back to where sin starts, and we're going to see this play out. Because I think we have a clear illustration from Scripture of how this works when we go back to the origin of sin. Let's go back to Genesis 3. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6 so you have the context, but we're going to focus primarily on verse 6. Now, many of you know this story, so but i want to read it. Now, the serpent was most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit in the middle of the garden, God said... You must not eat it or touch it or you will die. A little add-on. God just said don't eat it. He didn't say nothing about touching it, but okay. Whatever keeps you from being disobedient. <laughs> Verse 4, no, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Verse 6, the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for attaining wisdom. She took some of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Okay, here's what's happening. Eve is addressed by Satan, the serpent. And it's important that you pay attention to what Satan actually says. The the temptation for Satan is primarily in verse 5. But we could say it starts in verse 4, that you will not die, is what Satan says. You won't die if you eat from the fruit, but here's the real, here's the real motive for fruit, for, for disobedience. In fact, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Okay, that's the actual temptation. Now, let's look closer at what happens to Eve after she receives that, that thought. It says, the woman saw that the tree was good for food. Says who? Where did that come from? God didn't say that. Satan didn't say that. Satan didn't say, "Aren't you hungry? Doesn't that fruit look good?" He didn't say that. He just said it'll make you like God, knowing good and evil. Then she says, and it was delightful to look at. Says who? Where did she get this from? God did not say this. Satan didn't say this. Then she said it, was, and it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. Then she took of its fruit and ate and also gave some to her husband. Verse six reveals to us the first evil desire. Because it was about disobeying God is what made it evil. Now, granted, God said don't eat. Of the fruit, right? But there's a process to eating the fruit. Just because God said, don't eat of it. It wasn't. He didn't say, well, go ahead and stare at it. Imagine what it would taste like. Do all of that. The Lord knows the process on which a person would eat. Adam and Eve were not going to just walk up and wrongly grab the wrong tree. Yeah, Adam, man, we got to finish raking all that stuff. and Oh, my gosh, it's the wrong. No, no, no. God said, don't eat of it. So whatever process that it would take you to eat of it was forbidden. Now, let's look at this, what happened there, four steps to what made Eve do sinful. Mind you, sin is not credited to Eve before she bit the fruit, before Adam bit it. It's not credited to them as sin until they did an actual act. Let's look at this again. For the woman saw that the tree was good for food. Here's how it begins. Contemplation. Let me consider this for a second. Let me think about this for a moment. That's how it began. She saw that the tree was good for food. Says who? The desire. It's evil because God never said it was good for food. He said if you actually eat it, you'll die. So you would think, if anything, Eve would take her own words and be like, I don't even want to touch it. How did she go from, well, don't even touch it and you'll die, to like, "Now it's actually good for food. You see, there's the contemplation. Let me consider this for a moment. Let me think about this for a moment. And the next thing you hear her say, it's delightful to look at. Really? Here's the justification for it. Let me justify what I'm thinking. Let me consider this. It is desirable. It is good to look at. There's the justification. And by justification, I mean, let me make excuses for why I should do this. Let me make excuses. Let me justify it. It is delightful to look at. And then she says, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. Now think about that phrase. That's the one thing that the devil said to her. So what is she doing right now? She's agreeing. I agree now with the devil. So let me, let me consider, let me contemplate, let me justify, let me make excuses for it so that I can agree that it's good. And then what happens She bites the fruit, and she acts. This is the process of temptation to sin. Let me consider, contemplate. Let me justify or make excuses. Let me agree. That's the only thing that Satan said. So in that moment, she agrees with Satan. It is desirable to make one wisdom. What happens you? you can't even touch it or you'll die? You just said that 34 seconds ago. <laughs> Give or take. The only thing he said to her was you'll be like God and now have the wisdom of God. And now she says, I agree. And then she acts. An evil desire was played out in this passage but it wasn't sin until she bit the fruit. There's nothing about this scene right here that is glorifying to God in the sense that God can receive glory from anything but in terms of what he said do and obey, there's nothing in this process that shows you that yeah, she's really trying to honor the Lord here. She's considering. She's justifying. She's agreeing that it's good to do, and then she acts. And that is the process for sin. Now keep in mind this too. We've inherited this from Adam and Eve. We've inherited this. All of us to, some, to in some way, shape, or form look or do something that our parents do, our grandparents do. All of us, we've inherited that. Well, the Bible says that our sin nature, our desire to define good and evil apart from God comes from this very moment that we're reading right now. Adam and Eve were the first two humans, and after they bit the fruit, every human would be born with the same condition, the desire to define good and evil apart from God. So Jesus comes and and lives his whole life according to good and evil defined by God, dies on the cross as if he lived his whole life according to good and evil defined like us, Then he rises from the dead and says, I'm going to forgive everyone who agrees with me about God's definition of good and evil. And then I'm going to give you my spirit to remind you throughout your life that God's definition of good and evil is what you're supposed to do. And this is the Christian life, the struggle. This is our struggle. We're constantly fighting for our definition of good and evil versus God's. But we have to understand it in this four-part dynamic. We don't have to. I think it's helpful. Now here's what makes her temptation different from you and me. At this moment, Eve hadn't sinned yet. She hadn't sinned yet. She was sinless up to this point. But evil desire, temptation, sinful desire is still present. She had nothing to compare it to at that moment. It was just desire. Now, here's what makes it different for, for us and actually makes it more complicated for us. Because most of what tempts us is things that we've already done that we've received pleasure from. You see, Eve didn't have any pleasure and disobedience yet. But most of what tempts us, I, 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 I can't prove this, what I'm about to say. But I would bet you if, you, if all of us chronicled, if we just felt like, let's just chronicle all the temptations that we struggle with in a week. And we come back and look at them. I bet you, many of you will not come in and be like, yeah, man, I had this temptation to rob a bank. I had the temptation to, to get high on heroin. Many of you won't. You know why? Because we're often tempted by the things that we've already gotten pleasure from. I have, I've never been tempted to rob a bank. Well, maybe once. you be in there, you'd be like, man, this line is so long, man, you just come in here. But it was a real temptation. Right. It was like I was sitting there like, man, OK, where do they put the money and how do they come? You know, you frustrated, you know, you think a thought or two. Right. But but there's just certain things that many of us have never been tempted to do. Me and Mike have a different background than a lot of people. And so when we share things we struggle with, they're always aggressive and stuff like that. And people are like, man, I never think like that. Cool. Because we're different people. But you have your own temptations, things that you're more common to do. You want more, more common to be street and be aggressive with it, and that's fine, but don't take our, don't try to one-to-one our analogies. Find your own analogy for things that you're tempted to do. Don't dismiss the truth because it's not, we're using some of this you can't relate to. I, I may not be able to relate to your story, but I guarantee you've got a few. Because all of us were tempted by pleasure that we've already gotten from sin. And here's where, here's the kicker for us. Most of what deceives us in thinking that a temptation to sin that we've actually sinned because we're tempted is because we've already sinned that way before so when I'm tempted to sin in the way I've already sinned before it's almost like I've already sinned again just because I'm tempted by it and that's not true that's not true just because we failed in certain areas and we get tempted again to do it again it doesn't mean we're doing it because we're tempted. It's an evil desire. We can connect to it because we've done it, but we still have to go through the process before we do it. Just because we are tempted to sin in ways that we've sinned before does not make it sin until we actually do it. And we get deceived by this a lot. We, we, we're given a sin, We feel bad about it afterwards. We don't want to do it again. And then it happens that we get tempted again. And it's almost like, man, I failed again. And then you know what happens? For most of us, when we feel like we failed again, it's hard to resist. When I was a kid, this happened all the time. And you probably aren't surprised. I was always in trouble. So my mom would be like, all y'all can go outside, but you better be in before these streetlights come on. And there were nights where I just, I wasn't going to make it. My bike wasn't fast enough. And it wasn't my bike's fault. It was because I was just hard-headed and wasn't trying to be close enough to be home. So if the, lights, if the lights came on, I was like, man, I'm already in trouble. I might as well just enjoy myself. If I'm going to get beat, I ain't going to get beat for being 10 minutes late. I'm going to go ahead and hang out and come home at 11. I'm supposed to be home at 7. If I'm going to get beat, I'm going to earn that whooping because there ain't no way... I'm going to get beat for 10, 15 minutes. I might as well go ahead and have me a good old time and just take the whooping as is. That's how I used to think as a kid. Terrible logic. Please, my son, don't do that. But that's what I did. I didn't grow up in a Christian household, boys. That's how I would think. What's funny is, many of us can think like this about our temptations. Think about you've been struggling with lust all day. You just feel like, man, you just give in eventually you've been tempted and you gave in before and you feel like, man, you got to do it again. I failed like this plenty of times. Just being deceived and thinking that the fact that I'm being tempted by something means that I actually did it because I've done it before is not true. There is a process. So let's prove this by taking the process from Genesis 3 and putting it back on James 1. Look at verses 14 and 15. I'm going to read them again and then we'll see this process play out. Because now this is talking about us. Genesis 3 describes Eve, and it describes where we got it from. We got the process from Eve. But now this is directly talking about our process day to day. Here's what it says, verse 14 and 15 of James 1. But each person is tempted when he is drawn and enticed by his own evil desire. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Let's look at 14. Each person is tempted when he is drawn away. There's the contemplation. I'm just drawn away. I'm considering. I'm just thinking. I'm drawn away. I've been fighting, fighting being angry, and now I'm just thinking like, man, I'm just getting tired of whatever's happening that's, that's revealing my anger. I'm just tired of that. I'm not tired of the anger. I'm tired of the person that I think is tempting me to be angry. I'm tired of fighting being angry. We're human, right? There comes a time where I just get tired of resisting. I get tired of fighting. And then sometimes when that line gets crossed, it's, it's a wrap. Drawn away, there's the contemplation. I'm thinking about it. And it says enticed, enticed. It means it lowers you away. Like it, 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 it reminds you of the pleasure that you get from it. There's, so you start justifying it. So you consider it, and then you justify it. You're enticed. Enticed. And then when desire has conceived, that's when you agree to do it. I agree. And then it gives birth to sin. There's the act. There's the act. I'm considering it, drawn away, trying to justify it by being enticed by my own desire. It's what I want. Making excuses. But it's been a long day. I've been fighting all day. Or I've been doing good for a while. And desire, once it's conceived, this is just a birthing analogy. I'm not going to get into that part because that's not what I'm after this time. Once it's conceived, that means I agree to do it. And it gives birth to sin. There's the action. Bam. If you don't remember anything else that I say this morning, remember this. The evil desire, the desire to sin against the Lord is not sin against the Lord until it becomes an action. It's temptation. And there's a process. And we're getting tripped up, many of us. And by tripped up, I mean we're kind of giving up. There's a process where this happens. Sinful desire is sinful because a desire wants you to dis- dishonor God. Temptation is all about doing evil, but you have to actually do evil for it to be sinful. Just having a thought in and of itself is not committing the sin. Why is this important? And what does this have to do with love? Everything. Let me read you uh, theologian Douglas Moon, his commentary in the book of James, particularly on verse 15. He says this. I'm going to say, he's going to say it kind of the way he says it, then I'm going to say it the way I think about it for our church. Here's what he says If a person should welcome rather than resist that temptation, desire conceives. And if not turned away immediately, it produces sin. James implies that temptation, in and of itself, is not sinful. Only when desire conceives, is allowed to produce offspring, is allowed, so you agree with it, right? Does sin come into being? The point, this point is an important one. For some extremely sensitive Christians may feel that the fact of their continuing to experience temptation demonstrates that they are out of the fellowship with the Lord. To be sure, as one develops more and more of a Christian mind, The frequency and power of temptation should grow less, but temptation will be a part of our experience. And it was the experience of the Lord himself, referencing Hebrews 2.18, throughout our time on earth. Christian maturity is not indicated by the infrequency of temptation, but by the infrequency of succumbing to temptation. That's what he says beautifully written. So let me say it in more modern day vernacular, the Kirk translation. Because many of us think the desire to sin is actually sin already committed in our hearts, we fail to fight the temptation at times when we give in. And then we get discouraged. We get discouraged from putting on righteousness because we think we're never putting off unrighteousness. That's what I get concerned about. I know what I've been concerned about my own life. I've been duped by this. I've been duped by thinking it like, man, I'm tempted to do the stuff that I've done before. I've gotten pleasure from it. And you just feel like, man, you're doing it. You're already sinning. We confuse the desire to sin with the act of sin. But there is a process that James is laying out. And James is speaking on behalf of God. God is saying, here's the process. I think in a subtle way, God is saying, don't be discouraged by your desire to sin. And don't be deceived by thinking that because you had a sinful thought or because you're battling a sinful emotion or emotion to sin, I'm gonna get to that in a second, that that somehow is equivalent to sin. No, it's a good hustle of the enemy. To make us think that even us desiring to sin, even the thought of it, is we've already crossed the line. No, we're supposed to have desires and thoughts. We're supposed to have thoughts that tempt us to do evil. It did for Jesus. It did for everyone. It did for Adam and Eve in the garden before sin was even at play. As far as we know, it did Satan in heaven because he was cast out of heaven. Before sin was even established, this this dude was able to do it because of desire. There's an internal battleground, and I think we have to catch it at justify. We have the thought we consider, so we always joke and say stuff like this. Somebody cuts you off on the road, and your first thought is you're angry. That's your first feeling. You're angry. Not always. I've actually grown in this personally because I use it as an example so much. I want to be able to say there's victory, so I actually don't struggle with this. I'd be like, "This, go ahead, go ahead." Now, if my kids are in the car, it's different. It's more of a temptation for me. You cut me off, and I, my kids are in the car, and if it hurt, if it, if they get like, puppy, what happened?" Then I'm tempted to be like, "Boys, buckle up. <laughs> buckle up." <laughs> I'm going to push this Honda Odyssey. I'm going to catch this Mustang. Go get my car done so I can catch this dude. I'm going to get your license plate, fam. Now, wait. the feeling that I have in that moment of being offended is still not sin. What actions come from that feeling? There are times people are coming off and they're like, whoa, this all right, go ahead. It's all right, go ahead. But then there are times I'm like, man, you, there's a difference. Where it gets tricky is when we feel a certain way. So let's just say we're trying to love someone, but we're, we, we're offended at them. It's hard for us not to think negative thoughts towards that person not to be bitter. And this is where it becomes a challenge. This is where it gets trickier. Because I'm trying to, I have negative thoughts towards a person that I'm supposed to love. And the reality is our feelings are harder to control. That's why you don't find verses that say, renew your feelings. It says, renew your mind. (laughs) We still have to act within those feelings. There's still a decision. See, like love, we've trained ourselves to think that our feelings are the barometer for our obedience, but they're not either. And this is the point that everyone struggled with about love your enemies was what he was saying. You got to fake it till you make it. What he meant was your feelings aren't the barometer of truth. Your actions are. So sometimes you have to go with your actions because your feelings aren't there yet. In other words, and in that sense, you fake it. You're faking your feelings out so that they follow suit. You will not find an incredible translation, change how you feel, but you will have, find change how you think and change how you act. Mm-hmm. See, our feelings are not what make us hypocrites, our actions are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's just say I can't stop thinking negative thoughts about this person, I'm fighting them. The fact that I'm fighting them is proof. I'm at the the justification. You're fighting at the justification. You consider this person does this, and and then you start saying, no, I don't want to think that way about them. I don't want to think that way about them. You're at the justification part. You're you're not trying to make excuses for it. You're recognizing that it's wrong. But if you think because I have these, because I have negative thoughts that I have to fight, that somehow that's sinful. No, 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 no. It could be. Could be you've kept the record of wrong, but it could be not. the Lord has giving you, the Spirit is given you the reason to fight. It's not until you start justifying it and then you agree with it and then you act. I'm not saying this is easy. I'm just saying God has given us a process. And we're responsible to figure out how does this process work in my life. So I can't stop thinking about this person. Negative. I've been hurt by them. Legitimately. Say I've been legitimately hurt. Maybe not, but let's say legitimately hurt. It's hard for me not to think negative thoughts. It's hard for me not to see the negative things and remember those things. When I see them, they remind me of what they've done. I still have to make a decision in that moment. How am I going to act? And acting is both external and internal. So I can be calm and not say anything, but just in my mind, wish they were dead, wish they, all this stuff. I can think whatever I want. That's an action. That's an action. I've agreed that... or I can be, or I might do the, or it might be external. I might say, I might struggle, like, Lord, please help me. I might have to say it to myself. And then I say, so how, how was your day today? Let me take, let me, let me apply Philippians 2. Let me, let me not, let me think about love. What's the action that love requires right now? Not what's the emotion, but what's the action? Okay, this person's hurt me. Love is not rude. Okay, that might be all I got right now. I'm just going to not be rude. I'm going to not be rude. I'm not going to talk to you. How you doing? I'm not going to be rude. I'm not going to be rude. I'm not going to give in to rude. I'm not giving in. I'm not going to be rude. I'm not going to insist on my own way. I'm not going to remind them that I'm hurt by what they've said or done. Every time I'm not going to resist that. That's fighting. But you feel... You feel it. Don't be deceived into thinking that that's sinful. Unless you're okay with how you feel. And if those feelings then produce actions or thoughts that are, that are really just okay. Who cares what you think? If you're in your mind saying, oh, shut up. <laughs> However people talk, everybody's different. I'm not, really, I'm not really sarcastic. I'm just straight, no chaser, like what? If I don't like you, I ain't going to be like, where would you get those shoes from? I ain't going to say that. I just ain't going to say nothing about your shoes. I'm going to say nothing about you. I won't even make eye contact with you. That's the old me. The new me will do it, but I'll be having to fight back from my head shaking if I, if I don't like you. and If you've offended me, and I'm, I'm going to love you, but man, I'm going to work. I'm going to work. And as offended as some people get at what I say, boy, pastors get offended a lot too. We get offended a lot. We get judged for every decision we make. Proverbs 18, 17 says, the person who presents this case first seems right until another comes and examines them. I kid you not. That verse is not applied to pastoral ministry. (laughs) People just say, whatever somebody said is it. It's like okay, like Mike said, you just take it to the chin, okay? All right, Lord, you know. They won't tell them that I was on the phone crying with them. A couple times, they won't tell those people that though. They won't say that, but okay, Lord, I get it. A prophet's not a prophet in his own hometown. That's how I survive all things, and I'm not saying that our church is like does it all about that. That's not it. Our church doesn't. For the most part, I don't feel like that about our church, but it's just a, a mantra I've developed for years. Because I've seen other guys just get crushed by their churches in ways that hasn't happened in this church. But this church, there are things that do happen. And it's like, all right, well, hey, man, props not a prophet, man. I'm not perfect either. I mean, you know, whatever. We can... If I offended you, please show me the error. Please. Anxiety. You feel it. It's there. Worried, anxious. Okay, you feel it. You feel that, but there's still a process. There's still a process, okay? There's a process. What am I considering? All the things that could happen. Then I start justifying, well, maybe this will happen, and maybe it's like, no, 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 no. I don't know that. I'm not, no, 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 no. I'm not going to think that. I'm not you, Lord. I don't know the future. I am not you. You said let tomorrow worry about itself, Lord. So help me. You just keep fighting it with that. Just, but you feel I feel, I am not going to justify I'm not going to make excuses. Yeah, but if this will happen, if this will happen. No, 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 no. That's not, that's not it. That's not it. It's like, no, you know what, Lord? And you know what? We don't want to do it because it's tiring. Sometimes we feel like we'd always have to do that. Well, you know what, though? The Lord will give you grace if you do that, though. Isn't it more tiring to just give in? Aren't we more tired of giving, all overwhelmed, giving in, feeling bad about it, ruining relationships, yeah. don't got close friends, all that stuff? Aren't you tired of that? Right. That's what we should be tired of, not fighting to get that way. We can do that. We can do it. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying there's a process. There's a process. Just because I feel a certain way doesn't mean I have to agree with how I feel. So I'm fighting those thoughts. I'm not going to give in to how I feel. And then eventually those feelings go away. There's a process. Evil desire is trying to, it's evil because it wants you to sin. It's not evil that you've sinned in already. It's about the actions you take. Let's go back to that Mark 7 for a second from Jesus. Jesus. Look at what Jesus says again. Let's look closely now with this backdrop of what I just said. Let's look again at Mark 7, verses 20 to 23. Here's what, he, here's what Jesus said. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. Listen, listen to this list. For from within, out of people's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, evil actions, deceit, Self indulgence, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness, right? Every one of those are actions. Every one of them are actions. Except for evil thoughts. Evil thoughts is the only thing that's the temptation. But if it's a thought that you've given into, that you've accepted, and it's evil, then that's sin. That's an action. If I justify why I should do it by however way I do, whether it's this person did this to me, or maybe it's, especially when it comes to love. man, You know the number one reason why believers don't want to love the way we're describing? This is the number one reason. This is our church and across the boardwalk. You know why love is always assumed rather than uh, uh, pursued? It's because people don't want to be a doormat. If I love the way you're saying, this person's going to take advantage of me and I'm not going to be taken advantage of as if Jesus didn't stop the people when he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. As if they didn't smack Jesus in his face and spit on him and put a crown of thorns on him and then whip his back open. And after he told Peter, I could call down 12 legions of angels to my defense. This is what he's saying. Like, you got to do that. But a lot of us are like, I ain't doing that. And don't get me wrong. There are times when you got to push back. I'm not saying that you just lay there and let everybody do whatever. There are sometimes love needs to uh, correct, affirm, a re, uh, 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 rebuke. Amen. That's loving. But if your loving is always rebuked, then the problem is you. Yes, yes. So amen. That. Yes. Love can't always be rebuked. Listen, people act like when Jesus flipped over tables, he was just, he was commanding what we should do. No, he wasn't. It says zeal for his house will consume me. Well, I'm going to be honest, none of us got zeal for God's house like that. So I ain't flipping over no tables. But people be proverbially, metaphorically, flipping, they need to flip over tables and just, man, you ain't, you ain't, can you carry the cross that Jesus carried? People be like, we need to be like the prophets and doing this. Can you live like those prophets? Are you going to hide from Jezebel because you're afraid that she's going to take your life? The reality is, is that these are actions. There's a process that Jesus is laying out. And my concern is what Douglas Moose said. Many of us, I think many of there are some that are not trippers, and I get that, and I can't, I can't, there's nothing I can do with that. I'm faithful to say what I believe to be true for our church. And when I give an account before God, part of, most of my account will be, did I say what I was supposed to say? Did I challenge? And I can say, for all the things I'm going to have to say I did wrong, this ain't going to be one of them. That doesn't mean I'm doing it perfectly, but this ain't going to be one of them. I've always said I'd rather have people angry at what I said than got angry at what you did. All of us struggle here. All of us. I failed miserably thinking it like, man, because I'm tempted to sin in ways that I've already sinned that it's the same as sinning. And then you just get discouraged. And it's like, nah. Okay, you failed. You failed. You failed. The righteous man falls seven times and get up. You failed, and then you get back up. And you're going to get tempted again, and there's a process. It's just there. Now, here's the, the, the thing that we're trying to get to. Maturity, because for some of us, and yours truly, for some of us, sin and temptation are too close to, together. Like, I don't realize that there's a choice. That's why you say, you make me. No, 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 no. We'll say my heart is revealed. And there are some areas where it's like that. There's there's a process where you know like, man, I'm just... But some situations, it just seems like, man, they're just too intertwined. So the goal is to slowly get to the point. That's what what Galatians 5.17 is. We want to pull those apart. Maturity is when we're able to recognize this is temptation and this is sin. And this process is a part of that process. This is a part of it right here. Sin is when I act. And I can agree. It doesn't always be, have to be external. It can be internal. But we got to train ourselves to know the process. I'm considering. I'm justifying. I'm making excuses for it. Oh, this person treats me like crap. He didn't do this. She didn't say this. Or she didn't acknowledge me that I did this. for Whatever it is. When you start thinking like that, man, you're in justify mode. You are in justify mode. And the next thing will be agree. I agree. And then act. Boom. This is the process. It's the process. There's more to be said, but we're gonna follow up next week. We're trying to be very practical for the next couple sermons. Very practical. Let me recap. An evil desire is a temptation to act evil. It's not a sinful desire because it's described as evil. It's evil because it wants you to act evil. It happened to Adam and Eve. It happened to Jesus. It happened to Paul and anybody else we could think of. The process from sin to temptation is contemplation or consider or think. I, mean, I use contemplation because for me, that's, I'm, 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 I'm ruminating. I'm thinking about it. Contemplation, It means to consider or think. Justify, which means to make excuses for. Agree which means to be settled that this is a good thing to do, and then act to do it. Being tempted to sin in ways that you sin consistently is not sin. Don't, brothers and sisters, don't. We fail all the time. We fail every day. I get that. Jesus knows that. This is why he came to forgive us. The fact that we're fighting is a gift, and the Spirit of God is in us because we're fighting. Don't be deceived, though, in thinking that because we failed before, that we're going f- and we're tempted, we're going to fail again. Don't believe that. That is a lie that the enemy has been using to keep Christians unfruitful in the kingdom. I believed it as even as a pastor, I believed it. Don't believe it. It's a hustle. But if you do act on it, remember, it's because you agreed to do it. You cannot blame that on someone else. If you act in sin, you agree to do it. But don't think because you're tempted. Well, whatever you got to say. Everybody come from a different background. If you got to say, not today, Satan. Whatever you got to say. <laughs> not today. Just don't say it to a person. <laughs> Be like Ace Ventura. Ventura, Satan. So the battle is, 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 is at justify. How do I go after justify? How do I do that? And we're going to talk about that next week. So why did I teach this message? Because we will be discouraged about our obedience if we are deceived about our disobedience. Many of us aren't being as disobedient as we think. Because what we think is a temptation. It's not a decision. It's not an action. We'll get into that more next Sunday. Let me close in prayer. Father, you've created us. We're complex individuals. We're complex beings. And our emotions, our thoughts, all of it just becomes, ugh, just becomes so jumbled up that we don't know what's what. So we just settle for every even tem- tempting thought. We'd be like, Lord, forgive me for that thought. And Lord, if we, we, and we can continue to do that. But Lord, help us to not think that every thought to sin is an agreement to sin, is an action of sin. And as confusing as it can be, Lord, help us to remember there is a process. It's inherited from Genesis 3, from Adam and Eve. We see it in in James. Lord, help us to not consider, to not justify. Lord, I I pray that you, we're going to be tempted. We're going to consider there's no way we can live in this life without considering sin. But help us to not justify. That's the battle. We're going to consider sin because we're human and that's what it has to do. That's the test. That's what we're, this is what the crown of life is we're heading for. This is what we're fighting for. Help us not to justify. The battle is at justifying it. Help us to use whatever scriptures, phrases, whatever we got to remember But help us to not be deceived by the consideration of sin. Especially if we've done it before and failed. We didn't resist before. Help us not to justify. it, And then help us not to agree that it's good to do. Then help us not to act. Lord, and lastly, help us to remember again. I want to say this again, as Douglas Moo in his commentary said so well. That our sinful desires are not sinned by us until they are actions committed by us. And help us to not be discouraged about our obedience because we're deceived about our disobedience. Many of us are fighting, fighting, and we think we're failing. And then we feel like hypocritical. It makes it hard to fight. Who wants to keep fighting for righteousness if we think we're always unrighteous? And I don't mean in the greater theological sense of that we're totally depraved. I mean in the spirit-given Ability from you to take our thoughts captive, to 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 resist, to flee from the devil. You say this through your word, resist the devil and he will flee from us. Help us to recognize that there is actually a a, a resisting is real. That we're not giving in because we're tempted to because we're we have a, a, a thought of contemplation. Help us go after the justification, making excuses for for why we should do what we're considering, whatever the temptation is saying to us, whether it's anger, anxiety, sexual morality, gossip, slander, whatever it is, Lord. Help us to separate the temptation from the act of sinning so that we can make progress and make choices as we are doing to choose not to justify Agree and act for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.